Thank you so much. We've never actually done that song here before, but I was pretty confident you guys would, would know it from the radio and, and from other places. So let's turn to Matthew chapter 7 in your Bible. Uh, if you want, you can use the Bible that's in the pew in front of you. You can find that on page 965 uh, in the Bible that is located in the pew in front of you. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. Or uh, if you're using the Pew Bible, page 965. And uh, let's go ahead and stand together and uh, read this text aloud together from the board. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Let's go to the Lord one more time. Father, we have not come here this morning to have our ears tickled. We have not come to hear the wisdom of man. But Father, we've come to hear from divine wisdom this morning from you. And so, Lord, I pray you would move me aside that the things that I have studied and learned, Lord, if there's anything not in keeping with your word, I pray you'd remove it from my memory. Father, that you would superintend everything that is said this morning and that your spirit would work in the lives of your people and that you would be glorified. It is in your name we pray, amen. may be seated. You may remember a a strange parable from Luke chapter 18, and it's not strange so much in the story, but it is strange in that God is comparing himself to uh, an unjust judge. Now, we know from the attributes of God, we know from everything that God is anything but unjust. We know Abraham, uh, he said, will not the judge of all the earth do right? And we, we stake our claim on that. We, we believe that with all of our hearts. And yet in this parable, Jesus compares uh, God to an unjust judge. And he's telling this parable in order to encourage us to keep on and keep on and keep on praying. And in that parable in Luke chapter 18, he talks about a lady who continues to come up to the judge over and over and over again, asking, give me justice from my adversary, give me justice from my adversary, give me justice, give me justice. And Jesus tells us specifically to listen to the words of the judge, He says, for a while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And I think that we can all understand that, can't we? 
I think we can all understand what it's like to have someone who is importune, that they, that they continue over and over and over again to, to just come up and ask us again and again and again for one thing after another, one thing after another, one thing after another. In our house, we call them children. But, uh, but I know that we know all of this is what it's like. And sometimes you're, you're not even inclined. Sometimes they can just wear you down, right? And you're like, you know what? I will give you anything you want. Just leave me alone. You know that song, Hush Little Baby, Don't Say a Word? Mama's gonna buy you a mockingbird. I'm convinced that was written by a mother who just wanted to go to sleep. <laughs> and so um, I'm pretty sure that's what that song is really about. I will give you anything, just let me sleep, all right? And so, and, and the point that Jesus is making here is that how much more will God answer our prayers when we are faithful and we are continuous in our prayers? You see, you and I consider it a bother, and we are displeased when someone comes up to us over and over and over again asking for this, asking for that. We, we consider that rude and it displeases us, whereas beloved God is the exact opposite. He is displeased when we don't approach him over and over and over and over again. And that's why Jesus says here, ask, just ask. Don't be afraid to approach your father again and again and again because that is what pleases him. It reveals our complete dependence upon God. And beloved, this morning, that is my prayer that, that we would recognize our dependence more and more and more. You know, in our country, we celebrate independence and, and I am so thankful for that. But we need to understand that our best independence is nothing without God who is over all and sees all and does all and knows all. And beloved, yes, in our country we celebrate independence, but beloved, in the church we must celebrate dependence. Dependence upon him. Dependence upon him. And my goal this morning is that you would recognize your dependence more and more and more. And so, let me give you just a little bit of context here before we move on. We are at the end of what many people consider to be the body of the Sermon on the Mount. And let me show you where we get that from. You may remember back in Matthew chapter five in verse 17, where Jesus says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. And you see that phrase there, the law and the prophets. And then at the end of our text in verse 12, you find that again. He says, for whatever you wish others to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. And that kind of bookend that you see there is a signal to us that this is the end of the main part of the sermon. So just like my sermons have an introduction, a body, and a conclusion, so does the Sermon on the Mount. <coughs> The, uh, the introduction would be chapter five, verses two through 16. The body would be 517 through our text today. And then the conclusion, we're coming up on 713 through verse 37. 27, excuse me. And Jesus has talked about all of the disciples' life. It, it is a pocket guide to Christian living. 
And we see all of the different attributes that come from the life of being a disciple. We saw the disciple's authority. We saw the fatal flaws of a disciple. We saw the sincerity of a disciple that is seen in generosity and prayer and fasting. We've seen the priorities of the disciple. We've seen the confidence of the disciple. And last week, or the week before last, we saw the disciple's humility. And now he comes to the end, and he gives another little lesson on prayer. Why does he do that? Why, as we're coming to the end of the main part of the sermon, Jesus is once again gonna give us a little lesson on prayer. And I believe the reason why is to show us that as Christians, we must place our total dependence on Christ. Everything that we have discussed from this point for the last uh, couple of months that we have been in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, several of you were here years ago when we preached through the Sermon on the Mount and we extended it. I believe it was a six-month study. And everything we talked about at that time comes to this point comes to this conclusion that we must recognize our dependence upon Christ. We must recognize that we are totally dependent upon him, whether we recognize it or not. And yet it's the ones who recognize it. It is the ones who are humbled that God gives the grace to. And so this morning we see that we must place our total dependence on Christ. And how is he going to show us this? Through three avenues that we see. <clears throat> three avenues that we see. Number one, we must depend on Christ. We must depend on him through prayer. We must depend on him through prayer. And the others are, we must depend on him because of his goodness. And we must depend on Christ for ministry to others. And so right now we're looking at, we depend on him through prayer. And one of the weird things, and, and I will admit this is a little strange, in, in, in Matthew 7, 7 through 8, he seems to just kind of abruptly come to this point. I mean, we were just talking about humility. We were just talking about, you know, judge, do not judge or you will be judged. And we talked all about that. We talked about the sincerity. We talked about living a worry-free life and, and the confidence that we can have in Christ that he knows everything that's going on in our lives and we can, we can be confident in him and live free of worry. And then all of a sudden, he just kind of stops all of that and he says, ask and it will be given, seek and you will find, et cetera, et cetera. And so a lot of people think that, that really verses one through six should not be here, that it was an interruption and that uh, it was just kind of put there on accident. Of course, we don't believe that here. We believe every word of God is inspired exactly as it comes. And I want you to see that, that as, as it sounds like it's an interruption, there is a connection here because last week we talked about humility. Beloved, the greatest sign of your humility is that you are a person of prayer. The greatest sign that you are a humble person is that you are a prayerful person. And if you are not a prayerful person in a certain, in, in a certain place in your life, then there's a good chance that you are not a humble person in that place in your life. And so we've, that's the connection. There, and, and as he notices, a truly person is gonna be a praying person. And notice what he says here. He gives us three directions. Ask, seek, knock. 
And those are not to be understood as three different commands, but they are, but they are all given to us to tell us what it is to ask God in prayer. There's a sense of desperation. We don't just ask, we seek. And we don't just seek, we knock. Over and over and over again. Keep on knocking on God's door, asking for help, seeking his provision. There's a, there's a desperation, there's an urgency to this because we recognize how dependent we are. You see, because the Jews had a very formal system of prayer. They, they had a very formal way that they were expected to pray. It consisted of a daily regimen. And let me just kind of give you an insight into the life, the daily life of prayer for a devout Jew. They would recite two daily confessions, one at the morning, one in the evening. It would consist of either Deuteronomy chapter six, verses four through nine. That was the most common one. But it would also have Deuteronomy 11, 13 through 31, or perhaps Numbers 15, 37 through 41. And then through the day, they had to recite 18 blessings. That was their prayers. And these blessings, the first three, always, foc always had to focus on Israel's hope. And the last three always had to focus on thanking God, forgiveness, grace and love. And in the middle, here are all the things they were expected to recite the blessing for throughout the day. Knowledge, repentance, forgiveness, deliverance, health, fruitful land, the gathering of Israel, the restoration of the nation, and the coming of Messiah. And a devout Jew was expected to remember all of that every single day day, and it was all in a very formal wording, a very formal setting. And all of it focused on achieving God's favor, all of it. According to one rabbi, he says this, all the time a man puts his needs and requests before God, God loves him all the more. In other words, if you want God to love you more, then you must pray to him more, and so on and so forth. Beloved, that is not what Jesus commands. In fact, you gotta love the simplicity here. Jesus just simply says, ask. That's it, ask. That's all you have to do, ask. There's a, there's a freedom in this. There, just, just ask and, and seek and knock. Just, just ask. That's all you have to do. And so what are we asking, seeking, and knocking for? Where's that coming from? What are we doing? Some people would say this is a blank check. If I want a Harley, all I have to do is ask. I've tried it. It doesn't work. If all you want is uh, more money in your wallet, all you have to do is ask your wallet for more money. I've literally seen a woman preach that before. If you want the storm to go away, all you have to do is ask the storm, rebuke the storm, and it goes away. Too bad they weren't around when a little storm called uh, Harvey came around, or Sandy, or take your pick. Jesus never really identifies 
what he's talking about here. He says, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. He never really defines what the it is. And that's why so many people take it the way that they do. But, but let me ask you this. Think about all the things that we've covered as we have preached through the Sermon on the Mount. Think of all the things we've studied. Humility. The Beatitudes. Avoiding all of those fatal flaws in Matthew 5, etc. Have you ever come to a point in any one of the sermons on the Sermon on the Mount when you're looking at this high standard and you're thinking to yourself, I cannot do that. I cannot be humble. I cannot live a worry-free life. I cannot be that. I cannot, it's so hard to hold back a critical tongue. It's so hard not to judge others. It's so hard to, to uh, guard my eyes. It's so hard to guard my heart. It's all of these things. I can't do that. Have you ever thought that at any point in any of these sermons? Have you gotten a little discouraged even, maybe? Beloved, Jesus is saying to you this morning, I know you can't ask. I know you can't ask. And that's why he says in verse eight, for everyone who receives, for everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be open. Beloved, if you are praying Christ-centered prayers that you will be more like Christ in these ways, Jesus promises that you will have your prayers answered. In fact, it's guaranteed. It's guaranteed. You want a guarantee in prayer, here it is. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, look at Romans chapter eight, verse 29. It says, for those whom he foreknew, watch this, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Do you realize that if you are saved, this is your future? Do you realize that, that this is a guarantee? It is, it is set in stone that when you come into Christ, he will form you into the image of Jesus Christ. It's predestined. You can't, you can't thwart the plan of God. You can't undo what God has done. In fact, that text in Romans 8 goes on to say, who can stand against you? No one. No one. That prayer will be answered. Conform me more to the image of your son. Beloved, when we are praying these things God tells us those who ask will receive. Lord, I want to be more godly. Ask. I want to be more like Christ. Ask. Lord, I, I want to respond to this situation in my life the way that the Lord Jesus would respond to this situation in my, in my life. Ask. You know, James says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously just ask. Just ask for it. You want a better prayer life? Ask for it. You want to read your Bible more? Ask. You want to understand your Bible more? Ask. And it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. 
And so we depend on him through prayer. Through prayer, constant, vigilant, seeking and knocking prayer. Beloved, don't be ashamed to go to your father again and again and again. You may think it's annoying. God does not. He welcomes. In fact, the Old Testament says he inclines his ear. He is listening. He is waiting for you to come to him again. Even if you just came to him five minutes ago, he's waiting for you to come again. That is our good, good father. That's why I wanted to sing that song this morning. I know it's not of the caliber that we typically sing, but I wanted, I, I kind of fought for it because it, it just goes so well. With, I didn't really fight for it, but, but it just goes so well. <laughs> Melissa's over there. Yeah, you did. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, but it just goes so well with what we're saying that our God is a good, one good is not good enough. He's a good, good father. And that's who he is. That's, that's the that's the whole of his character. Our God is good. Beloved, you have nothing to be afraid of of God's sovereignty because God is good. And don't ever separate those two. Don't ever do that. And so we depend on Christ through prayer and we depend on Christ because of his goodness. Because of his goodness. Look uh, in verse eight, excuse me, verse eight and no, nine and 10. I'll get there in, love it, in a minute. Nine and 10. It says, or which of you, if his son asks him for a bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? This is simple enough. He gives us two comparisons. He says, any parent in their right mind, now we all know there's, there are some parents out there that, that, are, that are so depraved that they would not do that, but we're talking in generalities here that any parent in their right mind, if your child asks for something they need, you're going to give it to them. You're gonna give them or something similar and chances are you're going to give them more than what they actually need, right? <clears throat> My son asked for pizza the other night. We ordered two, right? Because that's what we do as parents. And plus I wanted one. And... <laughs> You're not gonna give your kid a stone. You're not gonna give your kid a stone that he can gnaw on if they ask for bread, are you? You're not gonna, if they ask for fish, you're not gonna give them a serpent, which is probably referring to a poisonous snake here. You're not gonna give them that, are you? Of course not. No one in their right mind would do that. The obvious answer is that of course you would not do that. And that's Jesus' point. He says, he's arguing from lesser to the greater here in verse 11. He says, if you then who are evil. Now, stop right there for a minute. Evil? Jesus says we're evil? Yes. Yes, he does. Jesus is assuming our depravity, our total depravity. He is assuming that every aspect of our lives is fallen. That the sin, that sin nature and sin has affected every aspect of our being. And there is no place in our life that is left unaffected by sin. Not how we think, not how we feel, not how we reason. None of that is left unaffected by sin. 
You say, Jesus is just pulling this out of thin air? No, he's not. Let's look at some passages here. Genesis chapter eight, verse 21. It says, God, this is God speaking. He says, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. And by the way, that's after the flood. The flood did not solve that problem. And so God's judgment did not solve the problem of the human heart. It's still evil. Psalm 51.5, David says, and I was brought forth in iniquity from the time I was conceived. I was sinful. It's hard to imagine, but I was. Psalm 58.3. Psalm 58.3 says, the wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray from birth, speaking lies. Did you have to teach your children how to lie? No, you didn't. You didn't have to teach them that. We could go to Ecclesiastes chapter seven, verse 20. It says, surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Paul says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Isaiah 53, six, we all like sheep have gone astray, each into his own way. And the iniquity that we have was placed on him. I want you to understand that we are completely unable to be righteous on our own before God. Total depravity does not mean that we are all as bad as we can be. We're not all just a bunch of little Hitlers walking around. There is some common good in the world, and we know that. You can be a good citizen apart from Christ. Yes, you can. But total depravity means that there is nothing in us. There is a total inability to bring ourselves before God. There is nothing good in us that God saw that, that convinced him to save us. Oh, oh, Wesley back there, he's a great guy. I think I'm gonna save him. That's not how it worked. It's not how it worked. He saved us when we were Sinners. And in this, God demonstrates his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so Jesus is assuming this truth and he says, if you who are evil and yet in spite of our total depravity, in spite of our total inability, we know that when our child comes to us and asks for a good gift, we give it to him. And probably even more, right? We give it to him. And he says, if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, then how much more will your father, who is all goodness, he's what? He's a good, good father. And how much more will he give good things to those who ask him? If we know how to do it, surely God, who is all good, knows how to do it. In fact, is there anything that God will not provide for us that we need for life and godliness in this world and in the next? Is there anything that he will not give? We were already in Romans. In fact, look in Romans. You might wanna put one of your ribbons in Romans chapter eight. We're gonna get here a couple of times. Romans chapter eight, though, verses 31 and 32. 
Paul says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, then who can be against us? And watch this, verse 32, another, another one of these lesser to greater arguments. Here's what he says. He says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? The God, the Father, who did not spare his only begotten son in order to save you, now that you are saved, will he not with that same son graciously give you all things? Will he not? I mean, doesn't that make sense? Now, what are the all things here? Well, go back through Romans. What all has he talked about? He's justified us. He's redeemed us. He adopts us. He gives us access to himself, Romans chapter five. He sanctifies us, Romans chapter six. He comforts us, Romans chapter seven. In fact, look at Romans eight, verse 30, right above this. Look what he says. And those whom he predestined, what did he do? He called us. Those whom he called, he justified us. And those whom he justified, he glorified. And by the way, notice the past tense there. Your salvation is so secure that God talks about your glorification in the past sense. That's how secure you are in him. Everything we need for life and godliness is in this life and the next. He has given to us through his son, Jesus Christ. Everything that we need, everything we talked about in the Sermon on the Mount, everything that Paul writes about in the book of Romans, everything we see in Ephesians, everything that we see in, in Colossians, everything we see in the entire Bible that we need to be Christ-like and please God and live in a way that glorifies God is given to us through Jesus Christ and provided to you through your salvation. You already have it. So many, I'm reading a book right now called True Devotion by a, uh, by a, uh, a guy over in England named Alan Chapel. And I gotta tell you, it's a little hard to come by, but it is one of the best books on spirituality I've ever read because what the argument he makes is that in most models of spirituality, we have to do more and more and more in order to become more and more spiritual and get more of God's goodness. And what he says is, is that we already have it. In salvation, everything we need was given to us and spirituality, living for Christ, is just a matter of accessing what we already have. And it's a wonderful perspective. Everything you need is given to you in Christ. What an amazing truth. He is a good, good father. And that's why I get so irritated at the name it and claim it crowd who says, well, you just don't have enough faith to ask for what you want. You know what they're asking for? Cars, Harleys. <laughs> they're asking for $65 million planes. They're asking for all of this stuff. You know what? They can keep that. Give me this. This is what I want. I don't care about your $65 million plane. I want the good gifts that God gives me 
in salvation. That's what I want. You can take your plane and crash it in the ocean. I don't care. Give me life with Jesus Christ. That's what I want. That's the goodness of the gift. Jesus says we have it when we ask. James chapter one, verse 17 says that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. And watch this. With whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Do you realize that every time It doesn't matter if you come to him every minute of the day, every hour of the day, every second of the day, every five minutes of the day. Every time you come to God, you're gonna find him exactly the same. The same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, forever. He is the same. And there will never be any change in him. So the question is not, is it available? The question is, do I trust this goodness? Do I trust him? Oh, beloved, place your trust in Jesus Christ. Place your trust in God the Father. Don't don't say, Father, I'll just handle you. I'll just call on you for the big stuff, but all the little stuff I've got. No, beloved, trust him in everything. Be completely dependent on him. Don't, don't ignore him. Don't, don't. Don't refuse to access what's available to you. Can you imagine having $65 million in the bank and living like a homeless person? And yet that's what so many Christians are doing because they don't ask, because they don't ask. And so we depend on him because of his goodness. And finally, we depend on Christ for ministry to others. Ministry to others. Look at verse 12. Yeah, Romans, get back there. Verse 12, he says, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. And, and this is the famous golden rule. Every religion has some wording of this rule, although typically it's worded in the negative. Jesus is wording it in the positive here. But Jesus is unique, not only because he's wording it in the positive where most other people word it in the negative. You know, some people say do unto others before they can do unto you and, and stuff like that. But Jesus is absolutely unique. Number one, he states in the positive, but number two, there's a connection here that's often left out because most of the time when this verse is quoted or preached on, it, it's, it stands alone. But I want you to see something here that Jesus did not actually intend it that way. In fact, in our, in our ESVs, uh, you'll find that first word there is so. But, I, but I, like the, I like the legacy standard Bible, how it really emphasizes this. And let me just read it to you from there. I want you to notice, therefore, in all things, whatever you want people to do to you, so do, so do for them for this is the law of the prophets. I love how the legacy standard Bible really brings that out, that therefore, because every time you find therefore in the Bible, what should you do? You should always go up and see what it's therefore, right? In other words, there is a connection to this verse, to the verses that are above it. There's a direct connection between this verse and verses seven through 11. 
And because our Father in heaven gives us everything we need, then we are free to truly love others in a genuine Christ-like way, i.e. selfless, selfless. I want you to notice, there's no promise of reciprocation here. There's no promise that, that Jesus says that when you do good unto others, they will do good unto you. That's what our culture says, but you and I both know that that is not always true, right? And yet Jesus, there's no hint of that here. He says, do to others as you want others to do to you. Think about this for a moment. Just, just let me appeal to your reason. Let me appeal to, to your life here. What do you want others to do for you? Do you not want them to treat you as God treats you? Do you not want them to accept you as God does? Do you not want them to do these things? There's no list of do's and don'ts here. Jesus simply says, whatever you want done for us, this is what we should do to them. What do we want done for us? We want the things that God has done for us. Generous acceptance, patient endurance, assurance of forgiveness. Should we not be doing these things for others? Years ago, I was given a letter by someone in our church. This was years ago. We were still kind of, uh, kind of looking to find our way and, and trying to figure out what we were gonna do in the future, and someone kind of sent me a letter. It wasn't an anonymous letter. They, they signed it. Everybody knows I don't read anonymous letters. But um, and anyway, and in this letter, among other things, the person asked, are we being Jesus in disguise to people who come to our church? Are we, are we being Jesus in disguise to them? And I thought that was a great question. I would only change it, I would only change it in one way. Why do we have to be in disguise? Why do we have to be in disguise? Let's be upfront about why we're being so kind to people. Let's be upfront why we're treating others the way we are. Let a person know why we're being so kind to them. Do unto others as God has done unto you. That's the real message of this verse. As God has done unto you, do to others. In fact, there's a final conclusion here. God wants us to depend on him because have you ever noticed what you depend on tends to mold you into its image? Have you ever noticed what you are dependent on? Children become like their parents. Whatever you are completely dependent on, you tend to be molded into that image. In fact, there's a proverb sort of like this, Proverbs 22, verse seven. I don't think it's on the board, but essentially it says, the borrower is slave to the lender. Beloved, that is, that's financial advice, yes, but I can't help but wonder if there's not spiritual truth to it that whatever we borrow from, we become slave to that thing. And beloved, if we are borrowing from Christ over and over and over again, we become the slave of Christ and we become molded into his image. <clears throat> we become like him. We borrow from God in order that we might become his slave. In order that we might become his servant. And so God wants us to depend on him completely in order that we will be molded like him. And that's the whole point of 
the golden rule as Jesus states it. So, beloved, these are three avenues that God gives us to depend on him in everything we do. Depend on him through prayer. Depend on him because of his goodness. And depend on him for ministry to others. Beloved, we are completely dependent upon Christ for everything we do. Everything we do. So the answer is, so the question is, is how will we cultivate this dependence this week? How will we recognize this dependence this week? And let me just give you a couple of quick suggestions. In fact, I, I don't even have these written down. Uh, they're just kind of things that are coming to me this morning. Just, just let me give you some, some ideas. Hopefully you can have some ideas as well. But the first thing I would say is you need to set a time every day to spend time in prayer. And start small. Don't try to make a whole day out of it. Start small. Uh, that prayer app that our church uses, the Echo prayer app, it actually has a function where you can remind yourself to pray every day. You use that. Use that. And set it, set it up to where a certain time every day you will set everything else aside. If you have to put it in your calendar, if you have to put it in your appointment book, whatever it is you use, use it. And remind yourself to pray every day. And number two, remind yourself of the gospel every day. Remind yourself of the gospel. People talk about preaching to yourself, preaching the gospel to yourself. And we need to do that every day, every single day. But one other thing I might suggest is um, look up all the one another passages in the New Testament. There's some 30 of them. And just pick a few. You know, do a Google search or if you have Bible software or on your phone, if you have the Bible on your phone, do a search for the word one another in the New Testament. And there's like 30 one another commands. You know, pray for one another, welcome one another. And just go through each one. Uh, just pick out four or five and, and think to yourself, what is a way I can practically do that this week for somebody? Because all of these one another's are things that God has done for me. What is a practical way that I can do this for someone else? Bear one another's burdens. What's a practical way? Maybe it's a phone call this week just to, just to pray for someone on the phone. Or maybe it's uh, taking someone out to lunch or, or something like that. Welcome one another. You know, we have guests here this morning. What's a practical way you can welcome our guest here this morning? And just think practically, how can I do this? Whatever it is, you can do it, but depend on the Lord for helping you to do so. Beloved, we are completely dependent on him. Our salvation is in him and none other. And if you don't know the Lord this morning, then I would invite you to come. We're gonna have a song in a minute. I would invite you to come up. Maybe there's a... Uh, maybe there's a need that you have that uh, you just need, you're saying, Randy, I want to be more dependent, but I need counsel for how to do that. You can do that. If you're here this morning, you say, I know I don't have Jesus Christ in my life, but I know that I need to be dependent on him. I need to depend on him for my salvation. I would love to tell you how you can be saved. Christ died on the cross for your sins. All the ways we are not dependent on him, he died on the cross in total dependence, and total obedience to the Father, he died on the cross for your sins so that you can be forgiven, 
And three days later, on the third day, he rose from the grave to show us once and for all that he is the Lord and he has ascended into heaven and he is now at the right hand of God and he's offering himself to you as a rescue from your sins, a deliverance, a savior. So will you come to him this morning and will you place your total trust and dependence on Jesus Christ? Beloved, he will not disappoint. He will not fail you. He will not turn back. There is no variation or shadow due to change in our Father. And you cannot look at Jesus Christ on the cross and doubt that he's willing to save you. He is. Our Father, we come to you this morning. We thank you for these amazing truths. Lord, I just think of how many times I've come up into this very pulpit and have done so in my own strength, in my own ability, in my own power. And I just always think what, what a failure that is. And Lord, there's so many things we do in this life that we, we just say, we got this, Father. We don't need you here. Lord, help us to recognize our total dependence on you. That we need you literally for every hour, every second, for everything that we do. Because Lord, if we try to use our own free will, we try to use our own way of doing things, it will always lead us to sin. So Father, give us your will. And give us the will and the strength to do your will, to follow you. If there's one here who doesn't know you, I pray this morning, this morning will be the morning that you draw them to yourself. Let's stand together. I'm just gonna ask you to bow your heads for a few moments and, and think about the things we've talked about. If you're here this morning and you want to be more dependent upon Christ and you want to put into action some things that will help you to do so, but you don't quite know how, just looking for some counsel, feel free to come up. If you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your Savior, or maybe there's someone you're praying for and you want to come, I invite you to come.